uh, well, uh, take your copy of the church covenant if you have it. If you need one and did not get one, there are a few young men who will pass them out. Anyone, just raise your hand, okay? We, we have about four over here. All right. Thank you, Nick. Well, a few weeks ago, in our study on the church, one of the studies was on the church covenant. And, and I said I was tempted to skip that one because I, I've known for months and, and I knew obviously then that the next study was a series on the church covenant. I'm actually glad I didn't skip that because, well, just because of some of the responses to that message. I had a handful of people talking about seeing that posted up in, in a, a church they were in as a child and, and they never really looked at it or never really heard a message on it. And, and so, but, but they could picture it and they, they glanced at different words. But, but anyway, the, uh, just a lot of positive feedback on it. And then to turn this around, here I am and, and it's time for a study on the covenant and I just preached that message uh, during the church on the covenant and well and so I was tempted to skip that but but we covered all five paragraphs in 30 to 40 minutes and and you know when I say covered I, I can't say we covered it all there there's no way that that we can get in depth as we need to on it in that short a period of time therefore tonight we're going to get started in this study and we are going into the first paragraph uh, of this covenant. And so we're going to look at the power, the profession, and the promise in the covenant. We have agreed to requirements and responsibilities as a member of the Lord's church. If, if I could ask a few questions, not for answers, but, but just for thought, why would we enter into this obligation. How can we be true to this obligation? Well, it all starts with where the covenant statement starts, with the leading of the Spirit. We're going to look at the power of the covenant as we get started. And, it's, and, and you read there in the first paragraph, having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God. You know, when we reel in a fish, you know, that fish is not directing his way to us. That fish has been drawn to us. And God the Father drew every single saved person who was at, as a lost soul by way of the Holy Spirit that we could make a decision to be saved. The Holy Spirit reaches us. Aren't you glad tonight that God looked down on our lost condition and the state that we were in in our sin and He gave His Son for us and He reached us that we might be saved? He, he saw us in a great care and concern for our lives out of His love to save us. He reached out to us in our desperate sinful state you know, we wouldn't go to Him. We couldn't go to Him. But He came to us. 
So we can learn in the Bible of that state we were in. In Romans 3.10, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Mankind refuses to seek after God, but God came seeking us. And he, see, and he sought us out by way of the Holy Spirit and by way of the Word of God. Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, And they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. That's John 6, 44. And, and so God the Father, by way of God the Holy Spirit, reaches us. But the Holy Spirit not only reaches us, the Holy Spirit reveals to us. Jesus has taught us in John 16, 8, that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We have our sin revealed to us by way of the Spirit and by way of the Word. You think about how Paul said he, he didn't even know that, that uh, you know, covet was, was a sin, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So by way of the word, by way of the spirit, our sin has been revealed to us, left to ourselves in the flesh. We would dismiss our sin, but the Holy Spirit makes known to us the reality of our sin and shows us our unbelieving state that we were in. He, the Holy Spirit, also reveals the perfect standard and requirement of righteousness and the consequences of rebellion, which is judgment. Jesus says, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. God has made known to us our condition and His care for us in that He has drawn us that we might be saved. So we have the leading of the Spirit, but as we continue in the paragraph, we have the receiving of the Savior to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. The leading of the Spirit takes a place in, in our hearts to give us the opportunity to make a decision to receive the Savior. Those who receive the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, are born again or born from above, that means, or regenerated, saved. A person who is saved is then qualified to be able to be a member of the Lord's church. It's a qualification of being saved that makes one uh, a, a candidate for church membership. The church is for saved saints. I went on ahead and made that little bullet point and left it there. And then I said to myself, what other kind of saints are there scripturally? <laughs> every, every saint is saved. But anybody, go with me and entertain me. Uh, 
The church is for saved saints. Only those who have been saved by Jesus Christ have a right to be members of the Lord's church. The church membership, it is for those who have been separated. We've been spared from the penalty of sin. Our fellowship, the Bible says, is with the Father and with His Son. And Ephesians 5.11 says to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. One must be saved to be a member of the Lord's church. The Bible says of the early church that the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. We are saved, separated saints when we receive the Lord Jesus and we're ready to rightly be received into the church after we're saved and, of course, baptized, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But concerning receiving the Savior, that makes us saved. But we're suddenly saints when we're saved. No one is working to get saved, or no one is working on getting saved. People have made both of those comments before. Uh, Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you know if you're going to heaven? Are you saved? Well, I'm working on it. Wrong answer. That, that nobody's working on being saved. No one is in step five out of ten steps on being saved. We are either saved or we are lost. And there is no in-between. The Christian has been suddenly saved. That's how someone gets saved. I'm talking about within the boundary of a second. Someone is created in Christ Jesus by grace, through faith. It's in that second of life that there is the experience of God's saving grace in the heart of a believer, making us a new creation, adopted into the family of God, and ready for the church of God. We are suddenly saved. We were out door knocking a while back, and... and It's very possible that someone we had spoken to had spoken to Christians many times before because he didn't just have responses to everything we said. He had quick responses. They were all wrong responses, but they were very quick except for one. And the question was, have you had that moment in your life when you knew you needed to be made right with God and, and you were made right, made right with God. You went, you went from dead in sins to alive unto God in that moment. And that's where the pause and the stagger and the stutter started. The Bible tells us of the instant experience of being saved. Think about Zacchaeus. Think about this man, this short man who was up in that tree and someone had obviously told him about Jesus. And and so he is looking for Jesus to be passing by and he wants to see him. And Jesus being, Jesus knew his heart 
And so he looked at him and he said, Zacchaeus, come on down from that tree. This day salvation has come into thy house. Hey, this was a crooked tax collector and he took the people's money uh, above and beyond what he should. And now all of a sudden, this man is radically changed and he's looking to give money. He's looking to give back to those what he had taken unjustly. He was saved in a moment. You think about the thief on the cross and, and how... He, he and Jesus shared dialogue, and he said, "Remember me this, remember me in paradise." And he said, "This day you're going to be in paradise." That was in a moment. Right, man, what a close call! Right before he died, right before he was crucified, and he came to know Jesus. Salvation means we get to go to heaven. That thief on the cross got to go to heaven. Salvation not only means we get to go to heaven, though, but it means we're saved here. We are saved here right now. Salvation is very real right now. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Isn't it wonderful that we're saved now? We complain about the world we're in and things going on, but I tell you what, we always have something to rejoice in. We're a child of the King, and salvation is right now in this life. Jesus says, He that believeth is passed from death unto life. Not, not was, not, not going to be passed, but is passed from death unto life. That's John 5, 24. Salvation is very real right now upon this earth. And those who have received Jesus are redeemed forever. So not only do we know we're saved now, but we know that we have a home in heaven. Jesus says in John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. There's a preacher that I, that I come across often. I'm not looking for him, but he just pops up. And there's a portion of doctrine uh, that, that, that overwhelms him, that overwhelms his messages usually. And, I, and I'm in total disagreement with it. But, but he says so many things so well. And I didn't even write this down, but, but on those verses of John 10, 28 that, that we just read, he emphasized... My Father, and then in the verse it says, is greater than all. My Father is greater than all. And then he said, it is God the Father who has given us salvation. He has saved us with his salvation. In order for it to be taken away, to be able to lose it, there would have to be something greater than God for that to happen. And there is nothing greater than God. Good point. My Father is greater than all. But, but let's just think about another little portion of this verse that I read. He starts out saying, And I give unto them eternal life. If, if salvation 
could be lost, then that means that Jesus was saying that He's giving something that He really wasn't giving. And He would have to be a liar if you could lose it because Jesus was promoting that He gives eternal life. It never ends. It never stops. If you could lose it, it would end and it would stop. But it do, what Jesus gives doesn't end and it doesn't stop. It is eternal life. Whatever is eternal does not end. Well, we see the leading of the Spirit and the receiving of the Savior and that is the power in the covenant but now, let's look at the profession in the covenant, evidencing our faith. And on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, we make a profession of faith, evidencing our faith first here. You know, Romans 10, 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed." Whoever receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior gives evidence of it in word. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. By the way, that Romans 10, 9, that is an acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. It's, it's going to be an acknowledgement from the one that's saved that he's Lord. And that, that would help a whole lot of people out in a, in a certain area of their doctrine. But anyway... We confess in, in word. We give evidence in word. You know, uh, we, we, and we go on and on uh, giving evidence of it, don't we? In the, in the Gospel of John, the name Jesus, you will find it there the exact same amount of times in two other Gospels put together. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Everything you read about John says that he had an intimate, close relationship with Jesus. And he spoke his name over and over. We, what a wonderful name it is. And when we profess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is an evidence that we have been saved. That doesn't mean that we're saved by that. We are not saved by confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus. We read in the Bible how many will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I never knew you. And so there are those who have professed Jesus who do not know Jesus. But profession is an evidence of our faith. We profess Him in word, but not only in word. It doesn't stop there. We, let me say it this way, we profess Him in the water. We're, we're baptized. That, that is an expression of our faith in Jesus Christ. We do this because of instruction. We are, we, are instruct, we are instructed to be baptized. 
You know, the, in, in the commission, uh, it says to baptize all new believers. Acts 10.48 speaks of a command to be baptized in the name of the Lord. After, after someone is saved, there's nothing to pray about concerning baptism. There, there's nothing to, to examine in your life to see if you're ready for baptism. You're ready for baptism if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I, I'm, I, this doesn't fit anybody here, uh, but, and I wouldn't try to embarrass anybody, but if we are going to wait a year and a half for our sisters, uh, uncles, uh, brothers, third cousins, father-in-law to come into town to be baptized... Uh, I, I just don't know about that. We, we ought to be baptized as, as soon as we can. We are instructed to. We're, we have instruction concerning baptism. Baptism is an illustration. When I ask someone what baptism is, when someone comes up to me and asks me if they can be baptized... You know, I, I mean, I have questions for them, and I ask them what baptism means. And, and some people have thought it kind of means, you know, your, your sins are washed away and, and you're saved there. Um, you know, and, and that's a great opportunity to be able to share the gospel and what really saves. But then when you ask others and you hear words like a resemblance of Jesus, a reflection of Jesus, a picture, an illustration, you know that they are on the right track. Baptism does not save. If anyone looks up the date of their baptism and say, that's the day I'm saved, well, something's, something's wrong unless, unless you just happen to be baptized the day that you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism does not save, but, but it is an outward expression. It's an illustration that we have been saved. There's also... Uh, we can also say that baptism is an indication. Listen to 1 Peter 3.21. It says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save. That word like figure means illustration. And when you look at this verse closely, what you see there where you can imagine what people think they see when it says, even baptism doth also now save us. But you go back to the beginning, it says the like figure. Baptism is a picture of what saves us. That's what that says right there. What does baptism not do? Well, in the verse that I'm reading, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. What does baptism not do? It doesn't wash our sins away. There's nothing that, that, that is done spiritually in our life. It's a wonderful, beautiful spiritual picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but it doesn't put away the filth of the flesh. What does it do? Well, or what is it? The answer of a good conscience toward God. Baptism doesn't give a good conscience, but, but what does give a good conscience? Well, it, it goes on to say, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Baptism is the answer of a good conscience. When we're saved, that happens. And then, and then what is an indication of that after we're saved is to be baptized. And so now let's look at, well, we'll call this the instrumentation for baptism. And we're going to look at four things. There are four things required for a baptism to happen that someone already be saved. you got to have someone who is already a believer. Philip and the eunuch were, were going down the road, and he said, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And he said, you must believe. And he believed, and then he was baptized. So it has to be someone who is already a, a believer. There must also be immersion for there to be baptism completely under the water. There, there are those who are sprinkled and they, they sprinkle and they say that in the, in the original language that it could be this or that or all these other things. There must be immersion. The word is immersion and, and that's a biblical baptism. There must be submission. And what I mean by that, it's, it's an obedient act. It's an act of obedience to be baptized. And then there must be a baptizer. And the authority is the New Testament church to baptize. The church has the authority to baptize. And, but when you get in the baptistry, what do you have there? You have someone that is qualified to baptize uh, a new believer. So, for someone to be baptized... When you, when, you, when, you, when you shake it and boil it and broil it and saute it all down, you have to have someone there to baptize you. Okay, now, now, now if baptism was salvation, then what's that saying is that man would have to be depended on. You would have to have someone to baptize you. So that's a, very, a powerful viewpoint to see that it doesn't take baptism to be saved. It would be depending on man for salvation because someone would have to do it. Well, so we have the power in the covenant. The power in the covenant is the leading of the Holy Spirit, the drawing of the Spirit, and the receiving of the Savior. And then we have the profession in the covenant, and that is confessing the Lord Jesus and it's also baptism. And then we have the promise in the covenant, uh, which is one to another, or the commitment in the covenant. Let's read it as we finish the paragraph out. We do now, in the presence of God, angels and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant one with another as one body in Christ. There's a word in here, solemnly, and that word means with deep sincerity. It speaks of the seriousness of church membership. I hate to, I hate to embarrass our, our newest members if it does, but... But with the Myricks, uh, what, a, what a beautiful picture of the, the deep sincerity that is involved 
in church membership. Church membership is a serious matter. So we see in this the seriousness of it. We see in this the splendor of it. Not only uh, do we now, uh, in the presence of God, angels of this assembly, most solemnly, but it says, and joyfully. God's glorified in, by this covenant. It's scriptural. You can put your finger on the verses for it all. We are praising the Savior in, in what our commitment is, the promise we're making in this, co in this uh, covenant. We are growing in holy living. We are finding joy in the will of God. And we're encouraging one another because we're not the only ones in it. We're in it together. And we've made a promise together in church membership. We are connected I don't use this phrase much, but, but I'm going to say that this promise, it takes being sold out. It takes being sold out. Another name for a church member. You know, maybe, maybe I got carried away in, in uh, stewardship month several years ago. And we're going through stewardship month. We do that four or five weeks at the beginning of the year. And, and, and as I was studying and, and talking about a church member and the, the, phrase, the, the word we use, you know, member of the church, I thought there was, that it would be fitting if we replaced it with, with a, a contributor, a church contributor. That's, that's what a member is anyway. Did, I didn't try to change that. I like member. But, but any, I got carried away with, with focused on, on our stewardship or looking here at, at our promise that we make, the commitment that we make. It's not, it's not a part-time thing to be a church member. It really isn't. You, you, know what, you know what a potato is called that wears glasses? Nobody? A spectator. We're not... We're not called to be spectators. You know, that's not what we are as, as church member. we're, members. We're to be a discipled member of the church and, and a participator in the things of God. And to be a disciple in the church, it takes great effort and it takes sacrifice. It's, it's always going to cost us something whenever we are serving to the fullness of our promise and commitment. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing that it costs us. Some. That's what discipleship is. And that's what being committed here to this promise is. So in our promise and commitment, we see that it's serious. We see its splendor. The requirement that we be sold out. But let's close with the fact that, that this promise we make, it is seen. It is seen. We do now in the presence of God. Every time we think about the presence of God and that the presence of God is always with us, where do we go? And, and what scripture do we think of? The 139th Psalm. And in the seventh verse, it begins with, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? And three times it uses the word there quickly afterward. Where If I go here, you, he's there. If I go here, you're there, there. And, and, then, and then there are other things that are alluded to the fact that God is, he's always there wherever we go and whatever we do. 
Wherever we go, the Lord is there. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are, are upon the righteous. We are seen by God. We're not only seen by God, though, we're seen by angels. The 34th Psalm in the 7th verse says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. Entertaining angels unaware. We don't talk about that or think about that much, but we are seen. We are seen not only, not only by God and by angels, but we have made a promise in the presence of of this assembly, one to another. May we be committed to Jesus Christ and to one another by His power which has saved us, our profession which evidences us, and our promise which is seen by God, angels, and, and us all together. Let us pray tonight that, that we will be sold out in this promise, this commitment that we have as children of God. For our own good, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. And so at this time we're going to have an invitation and give you that opportunity to respond. It may be right there in your pew or, or maybe you want to come forward tonight and, and take that time to pray because, you know, as we consider every single one of us within ourselves, we examine ourselves, we see that there are, there are better and greater things for all of us that God has for us right now. And we can more greatly contribute to this, this promise, this commitment that we have made. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you're not a church member. You're, this covenant, you see it pertains to a church member, but you're not one. And, and, and maybe you've never been saved. If you're here tonight and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, by saving faith to save you from your sins, we pray that you, would, that you would receive the Lord Jesus tonight, that you would be that new creature that the Bible talks about. Has that time in your life ever happened when it has taken on a change? Because that is the power of salvation. We're created new in Jesus Christ. So has your life ever changed? Would you be honest within yourself with God tonight? Uh, I have seen people walk the aisle before and, and, and they have said things like, I'm exhausted with trying to convince myself that I'm saved. I've told other people I am, but I, I'm tired of it within. And... and, and I want to be saved right now. What a weight came off of their shoulders. What an unnecessary trailer that they were pulling around that, that, that wasn't going to, give them to get them to heaven. Po the, no, no amount of positive thinking is going to get anyone to heaven or deceiving oneself. If you're here tonight and, 
and you've never been saved, we pray that God would, would do that great work in your heart tonight or, or whatever it may be among us as church members that we need to examine within ourselves because we, we contribute greatly. We're going to contribute something positive or negative. So let, let, us, let us ask God to search our hearts tonight. That, that's a great thing for our lives. That's a great thing for the church. It's a great thing for the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, we bow before your presence tonight. We thank you, Lord, for, for your church, an opportunity to share your word. Lord, we consider a biblical commitment that, that we have entered into together. And Father, I, I just pray you would strengthen every one of us and work in our lives, rearrange our circumstances in such a way for your glory. You know exactly what we need in our lives to, to be able to, to serve you greater. May that desire be in our hearts tonight. I thank you for the conviction of your Holy Spirit, the leading of your Spirit in our lives. May we be Spirit-filled church members and, and enthusiastic, spiritually enthusiastic about your church and live for your glory and truly worship you. Father, we pray these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.